Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. So glad to have you here with us for another awesome episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, one of the best parts of our student experience here at the Speaker Lab is the coaching that is integrated into our programs. And our team has the experience and expertise that it takes to help our students gain confidence, clarity, and follow that clear path to their own speaking success. And so during our Coaches Corner podcast series, you're going to have the opportunity to hear from our Director of Student Success, Mary Alice Goldsmith, and a member of our coaching team. So whether you are at the very beginning of your speaking journey or a well-seasoned veteran in the industry. Regardless, our coaches are meeting you where you're at and equipping you to take you to the next level. So I'm going to hand the mic over to them. I know that you're going to love hearing from our coaches. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. I am Mary Alice Goldsmith, Director of Student Success here at the Speaker Lab. And today I am joined by our very own fabulous coach, Jeremy Rochford. And on this episode of The Coach's Corner, we are so excited to dive deep into three reasons why your talk is boring and what to do to change it. Jeremy, so happy to be with you today. What's happening? Living the dream, and it's so cliche. I, 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 <laughs> it's so cliche, but it really is true, right? Like, awesome. You just get into a place where I get to talk about talking, which is so ironic and funny. But I, I love it, you know, got a little head cold that I'm battling through. So if I start Kermit the frogging on you, I apologize. I'm not trying to be the next Frank Caliendo. It just, it's what's, it's where we're at right now. You got allergies. But in that got, humor already, he's teaching you before he even talks about it. I see what you're doing there. I see what I, you're I doing there. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, why don't you tell everybody who may not know you, why is this topic about well, I kind of gave away the secret, but really adding some little flavor flav to your talk can spice it up a little bit and not leave the audience like, oh man, when is this over? Why are you the one we want to talk to about this? Well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to frame it in a way that I've heard social media managers say, which is don't go viral for the wrong reasons. Hmm. And I feel like the same can happen with being memorable. Because I feel like we've all got those speakers who just, they've moved us and they've brought us to a point of revelation and we're like, oh my gosh, I get it now. But then we also remember those speakers who are like, you gave me 10 reasons to check my phone in the first 90 seconds of your speech. <laughs> and I feel like if we can seek to be the first while avoiding being the latter, it's going to put us in such a better place. And I've learned in, in the years of speaking and coaching on speaking and presenting, this is one of those things that a lot of people don't think about. And I think it's a really good opportunity to start to frame how you want to become 
as a speaker by deliberately acknowledging what you don't want to be yeah. as a speaker. I, I know you've, you've done TEDx talks and you've done speaking, you've done comedy. When you're, when you're coaching students about adding humor and stories, what do you try to drive home in terms of the importance of doing that in your talk? And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more later about like the balance of that. But for you as a coach who coach students every single day on how to be a speaker that adds this flavor, I'm going to keep calling it flavor because I don't know, I like that word today, but adds that flavor to their talk. Like, what do you really try to drive home to them about that or the importance of that? Well, I feel like comedy is a great tool and not even comedy, just laughing mm. is a great tool to lower the barrier of entrance to relatability. I feel like quite often, whether it's just or not, we're put on a pedestal of speakers and we run the risk of people instantaneously saying things to themselves such as, well, that worked for you or that could never work for me because they see you as the finished product and they're still in process. But when you add humor, you also add that layer of relatability because we're all funny. We all crack jokes with our inner circle. And if we can bring that same esteem into the connection between the performer and the audience, well, it's less of me talking to you or at you from the stage and more of me talking with you. And yeah. so I think comedy is a great way to make it a shared experience rather than a I'm talking to you or at you moment. Yeah, that's so powerful what you're saying there, because it's an emotion, right? It's like if I could if I can cry with the audience, laugh with the audience, get angry with the audience, or just feel inspired with the audience. Like it's, it's that connection and, and laughter really does that for us. It really connects us on a, a deeper level that it's, it's topic driven, but it, it, it's an emo, it's more emotion driven. And that's, if you could do that, you have yourself a power for talk, right? Like getting people to feel something. So that's awesome. So, all right, let's talk about this. What is the main thing you want the audience to think about when it comes to this? Like, um, you know, having a negative talk or having a boring talk, nobody wants that. Nobody signs up for the speaker lab and is like, I want to be coached to have the most boring talk possible. So, you know, when we think about that, like that's a challenge, right? Like as speakers, it's one of the things that we never want to do. We never want to be boring and we never want people to walk away with a negative feeling about our talk. So what's some of the biggest challenges that you feel speakers face when it comes to adding um, flavor or humor or, or just like getting people to emote in some way? What are some of the biggest challenges that you see um, students facing? When it comes to this? I mean, honestly, I feel like some of the biggest challenges are imposter syndrome. They feel like, what authority do I have to share this story authentically? Because they themselves have struggled with that story or that vulnerability. I feel like untested content is a challenge, which also is sort of a cousin of imposter syndrome. Because what I mean by that is, well, this is funny to me. It's probably not going to be funny to them. And then they talk themselves out of taking that big risk. But the reality is with big risk also comes big reward. But even beyond this, and I think this is super important to remember, and, and, and hopefully I'm saying things worth listening to, but if I'm not, take this one thing away. The audience wants nothing more than you for to succeed. 
think about that though, right? Like so many of us get on the stage, we put on this game face and we're like, I'm going to win over the audience. But the reality is, is you're taking up their time. They yeah. want nothing more than for you to succeed. So they're already rooting for you. So it's not, I have to go in and win them. It's, I just have to tell them this great message I have that's changed my life because I want for them when it's done for me. And I feel like when you can have that perspective and you remember the audience is already for you, it takes a lot of the stressors away. Yeah. Yeah. Like it takes those challenges away almost instantaneously. Yeah. It, 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 to me, remembering that and not even believing, but remembering, cause it is true. Think about yourself when you're in the audience. Like if you're, if you're pulled out of work and you're going to this wellness event because you have to get your, you know, wellness credits or whatever, you're thinking, I really want this to be worth my time. I really hope they say something that's taken me away from work. And when you do, <gasps> how fantastic it is. But because you've got to remember the audience is rooting for you, it brings us back to something we talked about a smidge earlier, which is, well, I'm just talking to friends now. So if I stutter over a point or if I have an awkward pause or if I say a joke that I think is funny that might not land, how many times have you done that with your social circle? Yeah. And they, and they still love you. Yeah. So I'm not making a case for being belligerent when you get on stage, but what I am trying to say is don't forget the audience wants you to succeed. They are genuinely rooting for you. So the risks that you feel are too scary to take, whether it's sharing a story or telling a joke or honestly being yourself rather than a character you saw online that you want to be. Yeah. The audience is already rooting for you to be that version of you. So just be that version. Yeah, that's such great advice because I think what happens is we often come come from the opposite side of that. Like, oh my gosh, they're investing all this time. I have to be great. I have to crush it. I have to nail it. And often what ensues is this like, you could either have somebody who's moving too much all over the stage, trying to get everybody to invest in them or believe in them or, or feel like they're getting something out of it. You could have the person who stands up there and doesn't want to move. And so they talk like this the whole time and they have no inflection of their voice because they're freaking out inside. <laughs> or, you know, you could have the, the person who's like hands are by their side and they're very robotic and afraid to move too much. Right. So it's like so much negative can come from, from not being yourself and just, not believing that, Hey, you're, you're up there for a reason. They invested in you. They wanted you there. And the people who are in those seats, they've invested just as much like time is just as valuable as money. Right. So they've done both for the most part, they've invested money and time. So just have that really practicing, having that faith that being who you are and, and really practicing the skill of, of yourself being a, a professional speaker just focus on that and, and everything else falls into place. Right. right. Um, yeah. I, I, I love how you frame that, right? Like they've already invested in you. And, and I think that's another great thing to remember because the past few minutes, we talked about it from the audience perspective, but if you are going on stage, someone already trusts you enough to give you time and money. I, I not to, you know, GI Joe it where it's like, no, it's half the battle, but like, that's half the battle. You got the gig. 
you've already won. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it, it amazes me because I, I was speaking with a, a student who, you know, New York Times bestselling author, this is the most ever, he's ever been paid to speak. And he was so nervous. He's like, I just, I gotta, I gotta make sure the content is as good as my book. That's what they're expecting. And it's like, yes, but they already believe that of you. They already believe the best of you because they wrote you a check and gave you the time. And it, it blew his mind because he was like, you're right. It's like, show up and serve them because that's your responsibility and your, your privilege. But don't take the weight of the world on your shoulders to impress them because you already have. Right. They've given you the space. They've given you the finances. And I love the way you frame it. They've already invested in you. They believe in you. That's half the battle. Yeah. Now you have to do the other part and believe in yourself too. And then you got to exactly. win. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So, so let's talk about um, some of the benefits of adding this comedy or humor, or maybe it's even just like more lightheartedness to your talk. Like, especially like if you're in like corporate leadership or um, you have like a real serious talk, some people are, are more cautious about adding lighthearted stories or more humor. So let's talk about that for a little bit in terms of like the benefits of doing this, because I, I think it does get overlooked because, you know, even, even when we're coaching our students, like we, we teach them the systematic formula of creating their talk and story banks and content management and all that great stuff, all of it important. I'm not trying to belittle that, but it, it could get a little robotic where it's like, what if I'm not following the system? And sometimes it's really about taking that deep breath, trusting yourself as a speaker and adding those lighthearted moments or humor so that the audience can really embrace it in a, in a, in a full spectrum. So let's talk about some of the benefits of, of adding comedy, humor, emotional lightheartedness, whatever you wanna call it. Well, I think one of the biggest benefit and I'm taking this from the perspective of we live in such an informationally saturated society. If they just wanted stats, mm -hmm. they could Google the stats. Mm -hmm. They could bring someone in from HR to present a slideshow. But as we know, in most arenas, stats and facts aren't enough to move the needle. Right. You really want to feel why these things matter. And so as a communicator, the more human you can make these facts, the more relatable they are. So when I'm going personally into a corporate wellness speech, and I'm trying to convey that the obesity rate is 40% and the overweight range is 70%, humanizing the reality that four out of every 10 individuals seven out of every 10 individuals. So like if we're in a room of 30 individuals, 21 of us are overweight. Crazy. And when you frame it like that, all of a sudden it's not like, wow, yeah, that's such a crazy stat. You're looking around and you're like, there's only nine of us who aren't. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but then that also gets the ball rolling because it's, well, but I love Susie and I don't, I don't want anything to happen to her because of diabetes. How, how can I, and all of a sudden it gets the, well, if we put in a program where we stand up every 50 minutes, if we put in a program where the vending machines are giving more nourishing options, it's no longer, well, stats, it's 
Susie's got two great kids that really want to see her thrive. Yeah. This apple and banana matters. Yeah. It, 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 it humanizes it. So when we can use the stories and the lightheartedness, because honestly, most of us don't always want to be offering at 11. <laughs> like we are, we're, we're stressed out enough. We've got so much to do. And there probably is a lot of stats in our internal communication. So when we bring in someone from the outside, like, let's make it different. Let's, let's, let's give them a reason. <laughs> let's make it like a field trip. Like let's, let's give them something to celebrate. And so not only does it make the message that much stronger because you humanize it, but I also fix, I also feel like it empowers you as the communicator to give them the authoritative next steps. Mm-hmm. Because now, instead of just someone who's getting up there and reading facts and stats, like really anyone could, you've connected. And so with using humor, with using the lightheartedness, to me, it shows a certain self-awareness that says, I see you. I know you're going to struggle with this. I know that well enough to make a joke about it, a tasteful joke, Mm -hmm. because the art of a tasteful joke means I've done my research. I know what's going to offend, what's not going to offend. I'm deliberately going to say something more along the lines of satire, which is a shared experience, so I don't alienate anyone. And the fact that you went through that compassion and care for this audience will will really resonate. So there's so many benefits to adding a lighthearted, humorist approach to a speech, especially in tensious situations. Yeah. I, uh, without revealing any facts, I was recently coaching a student and his topic is very intense uh, and very heavy. And he was sharing, he was practicing his talk. And I said, you know, that is such a great opportunity right there to make fun of yourself because it's, it's so heavy. And it's, it's like, you do want the heaviness because you want people to feel that as well, because it's part of the story. But if you could break it up in that moment with this little humor and lightheartedness, I think it will just lighten the load so that they can even feel it more and connect to you more on different levels and they know you're okay. Right. So there's, there's a part of that too, in your story that if you do have an intense story and you're sharing that intensity, sometimes it's great idea to add humor just so the audience is like, Oh my gosh, is he okay? Okay. He's good. He's good. He's good. We can feel this now. Right. Um, and that that's actually important too. It's like helping them navigate the intensity of, of your story and letting them know like, I'm good, you know, but this did happen (laughs) type of thing. So I I feel like um, it plays so many different roles in terms of being beneficial to the connection, to the feeling aspects of it. Um, And I I think it's a powerful thing we do as coaches, like when we're listening to students share their story and we could say, you know, what if you add this here and they themselves laugh out loud? You're like, exactly. That's the goal, right? So I love doing that when I'm coaching students because they get to feel what it would feel like to be in their own audience. <laughs> it's great. Um, awesome. So what do you think are some key things that students need to learn Um in order to make their talk more engaging using comedy and lightheartedness? 
What are some, uh, some critical coaching tips that you can give our audience today? I think the first is to, to remember the barometer of humor. And what I mean by that is this quite often as speakers, we judge ourselves as it relates to humor to comedians, but we're not supposed to be comedians. Right. And so, whereas your typical working professional comedian is getting four to six laughs per minute as a speaker, if we can get four to six laughs per 30 or 45 minutes speech, we're killing it. Yeah. What a great point. That's such a great point. And I feel like if we can truly lean into that, it takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah. Because that means what? Once every five to seven minutes, I have to say something lighthearted. So for me, like that's the first thing is let's be fair with what the expectations are. The second thing would be knowing that we only have to fill, you know, a LPM laugh per minute of five to seven, what parts of the speech naturally allow themselves to be lighthearted? Because there are those situations. I'm laughing because we were having this conversation with a student about two months ago, and her topic was about committing to yourself. But she opened the speech unknowing with the irony that she was talking about her, her boyfriend of 32 years. And I'm like, you're having a speech about commitment, but you're still engaged for 32? Like, why haven't you been married? Like, this is a perfect opportunity. Yeah, great humor there. But being aware of, of saying like, okay, where are the opportunities that naturally present themselves? And I feel like that might tie into something we talked about earlier, which is we're so nervous about trying to win the audience over that we don't look at the speech with those eyes. But if we simply remind ourselves that the audience is on our side, and they want us to succeed, then looking at the speech with the eyes of, okay, this is great information. Where can I add a little bit of entertainment to it? I think would be the second thing. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. And then the third thing would be to really learn what types of humor there are so you can make them work for you. Now, there are multiple types, but the three most popular are misdirection, observational, and character. Character humor is really easy because I think so many of us remember Robin Williams, who was super great and just a great example of character humor. You know, observational humor is something that stands out to you, may not be recognizable by everyone, But when you bring it to light, it's kind of funny. So like in my world, I have red hair and I started to go gray. And my thought was, dang it, 
if I had black hair, I'd be so sexy because I get that whole salt and pepper vibe. But when you're a ginger, you don't get salt and pepper. You get cinnamon sugar. Uh, yeah, no one's ever been like, ooh, pour me two scoops of that. Like, I've never heard anyone say, ooh, look at that debonair redhead. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, like, that's an observation. Yeah, like, I, I, I find that funny. <laughs> And, and then, and then misdirection, which is sort of your your common most used comedy stylings. Uh, I heard someone make a joke recently that I found funny, which was, you know, I hate, I just, I don't like it when people take drugs inappropriately, like customs agents. That's not yours. Give that back. Oh, that's good. <laughs> right? You're going down one way, and then boom, you're going another way. Yeah. And I feel like starting there and saying okay these are three pretty recognizable easily to integrate forms of comedy and humor are there any place in the five to seven places in my speech that I could put a misdirection that I could put some observational humor maybe do an act out which is where the character comes involved and all of a sudden you start doing this and it's like wow guess I can be funny yeah. because I don't need five to seven laughs mm-hmm. and if I know that there's a lot less pressure I can find the spaces that work for me so I don't have to force it and then once I found the places that could work well here's a template of three different options to make those work yeah that's great and I think that's one of the power of you know getting coaching on your talk. It's like you, it's hard when you're like in the weeds of your talk to see where you could place those things. But then when you're being coached and and I'm not a comedian by any stretch of the imagination, I've never studied it, but like I, I, as a coach can see those opportunities for our students where, you know, you can lighten this up or actually you should say that differently because it's actually really funny if you say it like this, you know? So not only are there different types of comedy, but even just the way that you say things or position them in your talk could be taken either super serious or really funny. So even playing with that is a simple way to add some some humor or lightheartedness to your talk. Um, but I know as coaches, we, we do this all day, every day, and we see these, these moments of opportunity to move someone uh, differently than just saying this, that, again, like this could just be a student's, their own story, but if they just say it a little different or they position it a little different, it, it comes across as funny or lighthearted or what have you. So even those small tweaks could be beneficial. Awesome. Okay. So what are some of the big mistakes that you see people that are preparing their talks, uh, trying to add humor? What are some of the like, oh gosh, how do I tell them this? Or that, okay, that I can't let them go on stage with that talk. So share some of those moments where you're like, oh, I'm sorry, Joe, that just doesn't work. <laughs> the, the first one is, and I want to be very clear with words because it could seem contradictory, yeah. but there's a big difference between being intentional and forcing something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when people try to force humor, it's a big mistake. It never seems to go well. And what we talked about in terms of how to make it funny with being intentional, got to be very clear. 
because I've seen a lot of people who will try to force humor and it's not funny because either the timing isn't right with the joke or they're, they're getting lighthearted about a situation that people still have feelings about. Like the, the old adage is what is, what is comedy? It's tragedy plus time. Well, sometimes what's funny to one person isn't fine to another person because those individuals haven't had enough time to heal from whatever that tragedy was. Right. Yeah. And being self-aware of saying, is this enough of a shared experience that we can all giggle at? Right. Like I, I have a friend who writes faith-based satire and he would always joke about side hugs and he would always joke about going to, to youth camps and, you know, you had your red and your blue as sort of your, your male and your female. And whenever they would hug, it would, it would be a code purple. And so it'd be like, no purpling, no purpling. And regardless of what your belief is on eternity, I feel like we've all had those situations growing up where men had to be with men, women had to be with women. Y'all don't, don't go, you don't coexist. And like that to me is a great example of satire because he took a shared experience that was unique to him Mm-hmm. He said, okay, this was unique to me, but everyone growing up had that a similar situation. Yeah. And so he, he kind of made his talk about that, about making connections. And you know, you might have to do an A-frame hug, or you may have to do a side hug to avoid the purpling, but the whole point is to connect. And so I think one of the biggest mistakes people do make is they force it. And a secondary mistake that a lot of people make is they unintentionally do exclusionary humor instead of inclusionary humor. Mm. So with that last example, that was a very inclusive humor because we've all been there. Right. But when you really start to segregate your audience and break break them up into factions who may or may not get it, then what you're really doing is separating your audience. Mm -hmm. And no amount of laughter is worth separating your audience for. Yeah. The biggest mistake, like I said, pushing it, but the secondary biggest mistake is, is not being aware enough and not thinking about the ramifications of this. And I would say sort of the third mistake that people make, which would actually solve one and two is they don't test it out enough. Just about everything I've said from stage, whether it was a emotive point or a humorous quip, I've said to at least five to 10 friends or at least acquaintances, because my thought was if I can make them laugh, then I've got something. And I do my best to have a diverse friend group. So if this person laughs and that person laughs and they both have different socioeconomic backgrounds and they're both going after different things and they're both laughing at it. Well, then for me, that's a microcasm of my audience. Because if those two people unrelated can laugh at it, then chances are good the unrelated people in my audience is going to laugh as well. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're driving home a point that we weren't even trying to drive home, but it's really um, coming out crystal clear. It's like, it's one thing to have knowledge of your topic and of your talk, but to understand and know your audience is so critical here, right? If, if, you, if you know your talk and you know yourself, but you didn't take time to really study and understand who you're speaking to, why you're speaking to them. Uh, this, this could go really bad. 
not to be negative, but it can. And, and even with, with or without humor. And so just the, the importance of understanding and knowing your audience is so powerful in everything that you just said. It's really, I love how you well, took it home. Well, thank you. And, and, and to kind of piggyback on that, like that's why niching down is so important mm -hmm. because when you're in your audience and you're a part of your audience. So like for me, I study humor. I love humor. So to be around people who want to know humor, I get that because I used to be the student and now I'm the teacher. So from everywhere from that journey, I've lived that. Same thing with weight loss. I can give a speech about health and wellness because I've been on both sides. I've been morbidly obese and now I'm a certified personal trainer. And so I understand what my audience is feeling. And I feel like when you niche down, you put yourself in the best place to succeed. And then transversely, if you don't niche down, you put yourself at an extreme disadvantage because then you're guessing what you think the audience might want. Right, right. And if you swing wrong, then you might go viral for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, it's, it's, so, it's so critical to all of this. And I know in the beginning of this, you're like, if you don't take anything that I'm listening to, take this. Well, I'm going to add yeah, this one too. That's true. This, this is We're really, going to bookend this nicely. Yeah, this is really important. Like just knowing, and we, and we coach our students on this again, every single day, like just knowing the pain points, the desires and the dreams and the ultimate goals of, of what your audience wants. It doesn't matter what you're putting down. They're going to pick it up because you know them so well. So that's, you know, forget about the comedy for a second. Just make sure you know your audience first, and then you can be funny all day, every day. Um, so on the opposite of this, those are great tips on adding comedy. Could comedy ever be a detriment to someone's talk? Yes. This is one of the great things I love about coaching, but it's also one of the most challenging things about coaching is a lot of people believe their pain is their purpose. And I 100% love that. I think it's true. But I also think like a 401k, there's a maturation process. And far too often, people will use humor to gloss over a topic that needs depth and conversation about, but they're not fully ready to engage in it because they themselves have not healed from that. And that doesn't, that's not just relegated to trauma. That's relegated to everything. You know, someone who's a financial advisor who still has the ghosts of bad business dealings will mm -hmm. sometimes use humor because 10 years later, they're still writhing from that partnership because they thought they could trust that person. They couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so where humor, I think, can backfire is when it's not used in its purest intent and it's used to cover up or mask something. And, you know, as someone who went on a diet when they were five years old, I can say this, it's almost like chubby kid syndrome where the chubby kid makes fun of themselves because they're, they're insecure and they feel like if they can use humor to control the narrative, mm -hmm. they won't have to deal with what's being said about them. Yeah. They say it before somebody can say it about them. Boom. Exactly. And so if someone makes a joke about something and we're all laughing, well, then we're going to gloss over that either we don't know what we're talking about or we're not comfortable enough to have the depth of the internal work to then have a good conversation about what we're presenting. I feel like that's where comedy does go wrong in a speech in that 
you miss the opportunities to really connect if you're using humor as a way to gloss or cover gloss over or cover of something. Yeah. And, and to, to further that point, cause it's such a great point. It, it also like when you, when you skim over something and go right to the humor, you miss the opportunity of connection with the audience because the humor is just to kind of round out what you just drove home. And then you just connect on this, like, another level of like lightheartedness or again, like kind of going back to what I was saying before about the, that one, one student, it's, it's kind of like you use humor to let people know, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm not going to lose it up here on stage, but that did happen to me, you know? Um, but if you don't go deep enough with the content piece, you can miss not only educating them on the content, but you can miss the connection, the emotional, deeper connection with the humor. Yeah. We talked about a lot. You, you, you've really, uh, you've really given us some uh, food for thought here when it comes to comedy, for sure. And just adding that flavor to your your talk. What what what's something else that you would like to add in terms of comedy? Like you you kind of touched on it something before where you're like, don't don't force it. Is it okay for people because we all have a different type of humor, right? Some are slapstick. Some are just like outright creative and and funny and innovative. But some of us just can naturally be in a situation and pull humor from that situation. So how do we how do we start with what we know or what we're comfortable with and be okay with that and not try to, you know, cover all the aspects of comedy to, to make our talk great? Because in the end, we know it won't. It'll, it'll do the opposite, right? It'll make our talk a hot mess. So how do we lean into our natural humor? And what if you don't feel like you have natural humor? Well, first, to anyone who says they don't have natural humor, I disagree. I really think everyone's funny, you know, much in the same way everyone's beautiful, right? Like everyone is genuinely beautiful, but your beautiful may only be relative to five or 10 people. And that's okay. I don't like sweet tarts, but man, they're still making bank. So, right? That's not my kind of sugar. But like for me, A, I think everyone does have a good sense of humor, but I feel like finding their space with it is super important. Something that has helped me and what I really coach people to do to find their funny bone, if you will, is start writing down observational things that make you laugh and acknowledge that they may not make everyone laugh. I will give you some real life examples. Here are things that I find funny that a lot of people find funny and other people just blankly stare. Let's start with this one because most of you will blankly stare at me. Every time I see someone wearing an Under Armour jacket, I can't help but think they're doing it wrong. I think that's funny. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. But I can't tell you how many times people are like, well, well why? Well, what if they like, they like Under Armour? I'm like, yeah, but it's an Under Armour jacket, which is an outerwear. Oh, yeah, I guess I see your point. <laughs> You're not supposed to see my point. You're supposed to find it funny. But some people don't, and that's okay. I find it funny, so I write it down. Yeah. Another thing that I find funny is that there's an entire generation who has never played Donkey Kong. They have no idea how on it is. I love Donkey Kong. If you grew up in a generation where it's on like Donkey Kong <laughs> was said like your friend group, then you're like, wow, that's funny. But if you've never grown up with that phrase, you're like, yeah, I guess a lot of people haven't played Donkey Kong. You're right. But starting to write down these observations 
of things that you find funny, acknowledging why you find them funny, and then seeing, A, if it's a fit in your speech somewhere, and B, fit in your demographic somewhere. Because telling parenting jokes at a youth conference doesn't go over that well. Much like talking about TikTok to a room full of silver sneakers. Yeah. Doesn't go over that well. Know your audience, but also be confident enough in your humor by writing down these things and starting to pick and choose. It but it's it's honestly it's like anything else. If you don't start, you don't get the benefits of finishing. Yeah. So honestly, I'd say make a notepad. What yeah. are things that you find funny? And ask people, have you ever fought did you find it funny that blank? If they don't, then it might just be funny to you. If they start to laugh, then you might have something to work with. That's great advice. I think the easy advice is like, go to YouTube and watch comedians. And I'm not saying don't do that because actually they have a great command of the stage and there's a lot you can learn from them. However, I think when it comes to comedy, it's, it is a skill quote unquote, but it's also this natural ability that we all have because it's an emotion as well. So you know, it's, it's a skill to ski downhill. There's, there's a skill and we don't all naturally have that ability. Right. But there's, there is that natural emotion to comedy. And so I would caution people to not overstudy comedians, but if you have a comedian or two that you respect and you love their delivery, I think it's a good idea to watch them and learn from them. But then as you're saying, Jeremy, like really tune into what you find funny and make sure that you're not overly studying other people where you're, you're blurring the lines of how you would deliver or what you think is, is funny. Um, and then obviously honoring the essence of your talk and fitting in that humor where it makes sense and, and the essence of your audience. That's really important. Yeah, I, I break it down like this. It's like running. Some people will say, I'm not a runner. Mm -hmm. And I'd ask them, if there was a bear in this room, you'd probably be a runner real quick, wouldn't you? You'd be a sprinter. <laughs> because we all have the biomechanical attributes to be a runner. But to be a runner, what do you have to do first? You've got to walk. Well, we all can mostly walk. But if we want to run, we have to start being a little bit more intentional with our actions. We have to start asking ourselves, well, what kind of running works best for us? Is it long distance? Is it sprinting? Right? But anyone can be a runner because they can walk. I think it's the same thing with humor. Anyone can be funny, but what kind of humor do you want to be? What kind of humorist do you want to be? And then start being intentional to study those type of people on YouTube or wherever. See what works for them so you can see what works for you. Knowing that you've got to eventually develop your own stride or you're going to fall. Yeah. And like running, you have to practice. You have to practice. Even when you don't feel like it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, this is awesome. I am sure that anyone who's listening to this is definitely going to take away some critical points that you've dropped today that are so valuable because it can be a source of contention for people. Like this can be something where our students are like, Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, but then like when you're, you're hearing them talk about their talk and you're like, wait, that's a right there. That's, the, that's your opportunity. You know? And they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, or like you're listening to them share their talk and you laugh out loud. And they're like, that was funny. I'm like, yeah, that was great. That wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's just something where we have to remember that the knowledge of our talk is great. 
but the, the deeper and the most important thing about being a speaker is making those connections and helping people feel and think in a different way. And, and that lightheartedness and comedy really helps add that. So thanks so much for being here and sharing your knowledge on this topic. And we so appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us, and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.